0: Welcome to The Flight Deck, a leading-edge podcast. I'm First Officer Dewey Duhadway, your host for this episode. I'm here with Captain George Malazzi, chair of the MEC Systems Scheduling Committee. Welcome, George. Thanks for having me, Dewey. Glad to be here. George, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what equipment you currently fly, where you're based, and also a brief history of your volunteerism with ALPA?
1: Sure. Absolutely, Dewey. Uh, I am based in Newark, New Jersey. I'm a captain on the 737, and my journey in union work started back uh, in 2006. At that time, I was invited to join up. I was doing some local local work uh, with the, the, uh, at the Newark pilot level on PBS and just helping some peers with scheduling and areas like that. Had a passion. Someone reached out and said, hey, would you like to volunteer at a higher level? I said, sure, Let's let's learn what this is about. That started a very passionate journey to learn about uh, scheduling, PBS, kind of what is is this mystery behind the curtain. And from there, things transitioned under an amazing mentorship with Captain Jeff Nuger, who recently retired and uh, transitioned up into his role now as chairman of the System Schedule Committee. Uh, And it's just been a very fruitful journey uh, along this road so far.
0: No, that's great. And I know your work has benefited virtually every pilot that's out there. And you currently lead the SSC. So can you tell us a little bit about your committee? I know that it's probably more than people might realize.
1: Sure, absolutely. And uh, as I always said, I went to public school, so surround yourself with folks who are far smarter than you. And just we are amazingly blessed uh, at the SSC level to have um, such a talented crew of volunteers. They really give um, selflessly, day in, day out. Um, I don't know if they understand such a thing as a day off, What that may mean or a holiday. And um, really, very fortunate. Uh, A little background on the SSC. Maybe one of the easiest ways to think about it is what's the world we live in before we get our schedules each month, and what's the world that we live in after we get our schedules? And the part of the SSC, which we'll refer to as the scheduled production division, that's overseen by Captain Dave Collins. And the scheduled production division really is what we see uh, in our lives before we go to PBS. And there's a lot of facets to this. This is everything from the the evolution of the network file that turns into pairings. The team that reviews the pairings, looks at it from a fatigue perspective, examines 117, studies and evaluates FRMS in sleep science. Uh, There is a technical component of that. We have some very talented um, IT developers that ensure that um, contract compliance is maintained and organize that data in a structured manner. Uh, We have additional support then to help set up our PBS files, uh, organization with monthly vacation, vacation bidding, uh, trip trading. So as you can see, there, there's a lot that goes into that before before the rubber even hits the road and that that first PBS bid window opens up. And then from that point forward, uh, we'll talk about the world after you know um, PBS schedules kind of hit the line, so to speak. And that's our operational division, which is overseen by Captain Steve Smolik. and again, just an amazing um, you know group of volunteers there as well. And at that point, um, they oversee everything from you know, the real-time issues that come up where a pilot has to reach out. And a lot of times when they're calling an FODM or a crew scheduler, we always have our operational folks on the floor in the NOC. And those volunteers, they work some very long hours, especially during IROPS, and they're there to support the pilots. They support real-time Far 117 real-time FRMS type issues, uh, things like that that come up, uh, real-time trip trade, trip trade windows, um, areas of that nature. So really very fortunate. And then underlying both of those teams, we have an amazing group of support volunteers. Everyone that ever needs help with bidding, whether it's before or afterwards, there's a whole cadre of PBS volunteers throughout the system. And then just an amazing structure of local scheduling folks at every single base around the system, uh, and they truly that that's a just a, a very robust pyramid uh, of volunteers that help to serve our pilots. Because quite honestly, scheduling you know always has been, and even more so in this latest EPA, um, is a very significant part of the lives, and that's what drives you know a lot of what we bring home to the family each day. And that's a very important piece of what we do, and it has to be at the highest quality.
0: That's fantastic, I, and I think this is a probably the maybe the largest way that pilots are helping pilots and a lot of it's behind the scenes. People don't realize all that's, all that goes into it, but I appreciate the overview and, and personally, I appreciate the work that your committee has done. I know I've personally benefited in many, many ways from, from your team's work. So thank you. I do want to ask a couple of questions. Our topic today is about our new hire captains, which is a, a new thing. It's a new feature in our UPA 23. This is section eight F12 for these new hire Captain vacancy awards, but can we back up a little bit and can you discuss generally how new hires are awarded any position, first officers or or captains, and and kind of what it takes then for that captain vacancy to show up for that class of new hires? Sure,
1: absolutely. So in the, in the prior EPA, uh, there there's always the process by which. Uh, All line pilots and active pilots have to have access to participate in what's known as the vacancy bid process. The company will get together with the SSC prior to each vacancy, and they they demonstrate a need. We have a meeting and discuss what's the forecast flying, the forecast block, what are the the needs of the operation uh, in the next two, three, four, perhaps up to six months. And that then helps to formulate what's going to be a vacancy bid. And that vacancy bid is open. And during that vacancy bid, any United pilot uh, can participate in that. There are a few guardrails, such as freezes that are imposed upon pilots, which we're all very familiar with. And along with that, uh, our active line pilots are able to participate in the vacancy process. Not all vacancies are always going to be filled. In fact, uh, under all iterations of former EPAs and the current EPA, there's provisions to speak to what is known as unfilled vacancies. Unfilled vacancies... Are generally and historically designed to feed what we call the new hire machine. When a new hire shows up, they have to be assigned something. Therefore, they're assigned the, the unfills of the leftover vacancies, so to speak, which generally have always been your, your narrow body and perhaps some some 756, uh, you know, first officer positions. Well, as we transition into the current EPA, as we all know, this now includes uh, the addition of narrow body captain vacancies. And to that end, if there are unfilled narrowbody captain vacancies, they're available for new hire award and assignment similarly to the traditional narrowbody first officer, or any first officer vacancies that remain unfilled. There are some differences, though. And so that being said, there's some guardrails uh, we call belt and suspenders to get to that point. And really, it's designed to ensure that all active United pilots have full access to those captain vacancy positions because we do want, you know, the most qualified uh, and, and tenured pilots to have that opportunity. So to that end, before we can even consider opening up an unfilled captain vacancy position to a new hire uh, drop, as we call it, that's that's the kind of the, the colloquialism that we use to refer to uh, the unfilled and new hire class the Company has to follow a provision in the EPA known as 8D6. In this provision, they have to lift all freezes for all pilots that would like to participate and receive an award in one of these narrow body captain vacancy categories. So, to that end, if somebody has uh, received a, a hard bidding freeze from perhaps a uh, 777 first officer, 7-8 first officer, or you know a similar circumstance moving down in pay band, perhaps they went from 75 captain down to 320 captain, and they like an opportunity to fly in a category, perhaps a, a base closer where they live or for whatever circumstance, those freezes are all lifted and they have first right to participate in that. So in other words, every single uh, barrier or gate is lifted to allow the United Piles access into those seats. And only after all that has been completed, any remaining unfills at that point are available to award or assignment in a new hire class in the unfilled process.
0: Okay. No, that, that's a very helpful overview. I, I would do want to highlight along those lines that there were uh, two very large base vacancies uh, that happened back in uh, October 13th. They, it was the uh, first vacancy bid since EPA 23 was was ratified, and it, it contained 100 captain vacancies and 100 first officer vacancies at both Denver and Newark. And so from a system scheduling perspective, and, and you mentioned a little bit about generally where they, they might come from. Are you able to go into any further detail about those two specific large vacancies? And has there been a vacancy bid quite like this in, in your time and as the chair of the SSC?
1: Sure. Um, I'll take that in a few pieces, Dewey. Uh, it was not surprising to see where those uh, initial vacancies in the, in the most recent uh, bulletin the closed. Um, were initially proffered. And the reason is, and we've talked about this in past communication, as we came out of the backside of the pandemic, one of the interesting um, uh, perspectives we started to see was an increase in unfilled captain vacancies, particularly in certain locations. And the unfortunate part is, the locations where the unfilled vacancies were starting to increase is where the flying naturally wanted to be. So the efficient resourcing of the flying or where the flying wants to originate was in the coastal cities or mid-continent like Denver. Uh, So to that end, an attempt to address the issue, what the company was forced to do over the last uh, year or two was somewhat move these vacancies mid-continent. So we started to see an increase in vacancy opportunities in uh, bases such as Houston or Chicago uh, or Cleveland. And the flying really did not want to be there natively. The flying natively wanted to be elsewhere. So this was an offset of desperation to somewhat move the flying to where the pilots wanted to be versus with the pilots where the flying wants to be. And I think this this is an age old uh, challenge that I think exists in, in every airline, You know where the pilots wanna live versus where the flying wants to be. Uh, so to that end, uh, the company has uh, recently, as a result of some of the changes in the EPA, they've changed their strategy. And their strategy is to start to be more aggressive in aligning the pilot staffing with where the flying wants to be. So right now, there's, as uh, you look into 2024, 2025, there's a significant increase in the, the block hours, particularly in the coastal hubs, as well as in our, our mid-continent hub uh, in Denver. And so, and to that end, uh, with the ability now to ensure that once they've lifted all the gates we talked about and they've given every opportunity to all the pilots to participate there, they have an avenue to slowly start to try to put pilots where the flying is going to expand and expand quite rapidly as they kind of move forward into this um, this vision that they refer to as United
0: Next. Okay. That's that's helpful, and a little bit of uh, a background is helps to clarify. You mentioned some gates that get uh, maybe raised and things like that. So, um, uh, but so I do want to talk about that. In fact, let's talk about that first before we talk about the things that might impact the new hires that were awarded this on this most recent class. Um, but can you talk a little bit about the changes to those bidding freezes and? the impacts, if any, on probationary pilots who previously would not be uh, allowed to make these kind of uh, choices to become a captain before their first year on property.
1: Sure, absolutely. I'd say the biggest change in the concept behind freezes, and it maybe first we'll back that up a little bit, the general freezes haven't changed. We still have what's known as an 8D1 or an equipment training freeze, and an 8D2, which is referred to as a bidding freeze or a hard freeze, as some people refer to it. Uh, that being said, Really, what's changed is perhaps the line in the sand as we refer to it, when that freeze gets applied. So previously, under our our former EPA, uh, pilots' freeze did not start until they initiated training. So from the time they received their vacancy award, there was still some optionality to make some decision points in there. And depending on the decision that was made, and depending on whether or not there perhaps were multiple vacancies involved that hadn't been activated yet, that freeze outcome could be a little uncertain, or perhaps there was... um, you know, some changes that could occur with what the pilot would do based on their their, their subsequent actions. Now we've moved that all the way up to bulletin award, what we refer to as the vacancy bid award. So upon award, that is when the pilot receives their freeze. So specific to, we'll, we'll set probationary pilots aside uh, for a moment here. We'll just talk about fully qualified pilots, pilots who meet the, they're off probation and they have their 500 hours and they're fully qualified. So now they're gonna receive their, their freeze upon bulletin award. So even if we've gone through the exercise of lifting all those freezes and they have the opportunity to to receive an award in one of these narrow body categories, or you know if that's not applicable to whatever category they're going into, the day after that vacancy bid closes, That is when that new freeze becomes applicable and kicks in and is based on their most recent award. Now, a little bit different than that, as we start to talk about perhaps probationary pilots or new hire pilots, that's a a slightly different um, approach to where now uh, that that pilot receives a freeze appropriate to the award they get. However, we have a new um, not really new. The concepts always existed, but it's a little more explicitly stated, known as a imputed bid freeze. So our imputed effective date, so to speak, is probably a better way to say it. So for this, once that pilot becomes qualified uh, to be assigned training, that becomes the imputed effective date. That's very, very important because what this does is this puts the company on notice as well. So once that pilot meets the minimum qualifications, whether they're under 8i1 Alpha or 8i1 Bravo, that then starts the clock. And the clock is very, very specific in the new UPA. It's a shorter clock. It's a 60 day window. And by the 45th day, uh, they have the right to, up through that time to inform the company if they'd like to exercise displacement rights if they have not been assigned training. And that's a very significant uh, change in the EPA that brings some it, it brings some optionality to the pilot so that they're not inadvertently harmed due to delays in the in the training process, as well as another enhancement. If um, the the pilot does not raise their hand and say, I'd like to exercise displacement rights to perhaps, you know, X, Y or Z category, whatever they'd like to do, there is a default action that occurs to strip any related freeze from that pilot. So, again, just some things to kind of a little carrot and stick approach to ensure that nobody is uh, held back, uh, you know, kind of in a, an inadvertent manner or something that becomes quite uh, distasteful of the pilot as they're sitting there kind of wondering what their fate may be.
0: No, that's helpful. And you touched on it briefly then uh, in terms of the potential impact for these new hire captain awards in, in terms of uh, training timelines. What, what would be an example of, of something that might impact that that person where they might decide to exercise some of these displacement rights?
1: Sure. So there's there's two ways to think about it. And this this has to do with whether we're discussing a probationary pilot or a new hire pilot. And under the current EPA, the company within seven days of award has to inform that pilot whether they're going to train them under what's known as a 9K accelerated pathway or a traditional pathway, meaning they're going to have to acquire their 500 United hours in addition to being off probation. So, in either one of those circumstances, once they reach that point of qualification, that becomes the imputed effective date for that pilot. So, this is very, very important as you start to, the earlier the company puts out uh, these opportunities for, to probationary pilots and to new hire pilots, it really, the, the risk can be somewhat exponentially increased because there's a lot of new provisions in the EPA that must be complied with before, um, in particular, the new hire pilots can be assigned training under the accelerated program. And really a, a lot of the, the intent behind meeting the, the captain demand for the 2024 uh, and, and beyond timeframe, was designed around the ability to uh, utilize the the accelerated captain training program. So perhaps we can talk about here in a little bit, some of those requirements that have to be met, some of those things that need to be in place, because those are benefits, not so much for the new higher probation pilots, those are benefits for the the larger pilot population that must be in place for any of this can be exercised on.
0: No, I think that's probably the the best uh, way to kind of conclude our, our questions here. So this is a benefit to the company, that they were able to award a captain vacancy but as part of the solution and implementation of the overall upa 23 there is a list of things that must be put into place obviously you've mentioned that if the training doesn't start by certain timelines now we're going to give these options to these new hire captains and perhaps to some other uh, pilots who want to participate in that but maybe if you can touch on some of those implementation timeline milestones or hurdles that the company must get to uh, in order for all of this to be uh, in place uh, such that uh, that new hire can actually go to training.
1: Sure, absolutely. And I think a lot of this surrounds the concept of quality of life. to be to be quite frank, a lot of the the reticence for under the old old UPA for pilots to participate, in uh, a narrowbody captain uh, bid opportunity was because the quality of life was just atrocious, particularly on reserve. There are a lot of challenges. And so the, the EPA's design is it's heavily focused and, and listening to the feedback and kind of speaking to some of the quality of life enhancements that have to be put in place. And so to that end, to encourage um, you know, folks that have traditionally perhaps been, like we said, reticent to, to take that vacancy bid due to that quality of life those quality of life enhancements will be in place before they can even begin to assign training to these new hire pilots under that accelerated program. And so examples of some of these is reassignment and overtime pay. That has to be in place. So most of these, uh, this is a, a nine-month provision. So we get into uh, LOA 2301, and we get into paragraph C1, we can read about these. Uh, but there's a, a decent list. Uh, elimination of mandatory field standby. Again, a, a, you know, a significant quality of life improvement, um, You know, personally speaking, long overdue. Um, a lot of new enhancements to the 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 reserve rules and the reserve ranks such as uh, VEC reserve types long call only reserve types there's short call lines compressed reserve coming over to uh, the mainland side and the global categories um, short call matrix and short call caps um, let's see uh, roll day off protections let's see the unused short calls or late build short calls holiday pay reserve mpg Quite a list. Um, restrictions on on FDO utilization. You know, really cutting back uh, the accessibility for that FDO to turn more into a day off, uh, something that has a little less little less utilization and a little more, um, you know, quality perspective for the pilot to be, have, be able to rely that that might actually be some time off that they can receive. Um, the new PBS timeline and, and G line improvements, moving all that up, giving our pilots their schedule sooner. Um, the trip construction and rigs. Uh, some of our most fatiguing trips that we saw under the old DPA, that we'd receive feedback month in and month out uh, from all of our local scheduling uh, committee volunteers and the pilots that feed up to them. Uh, all those have to be in place. Uh, the new reserve assignment ladder, which is is quite complex and designed to really, uh, to the extent possible, protect that reserve's quality of life. So they given a lot more reliability when, when they tell their family we're going to be home, we're going to be here and a lot more predictability in that. Um, reserve to line holder transitions, uh, protecting that that transitional period when when somebody finally gets that opportunity to to come out of the the reserve scheduling um, arena and move over into line holder status. And and lastly, you know the ability to preference minimum time between vacation awards it may not seem like a, a significant um, you know item as far as quality of life, but when it comes to annual vacation bidding, uh, that's something actually that means quite a bit to several pilots, especially those who want to exercise their seniority with multiple vacation blocks.
0: So to emphasize or clarify your your point, before any of these new hire captains can actually be on their way in training, all of these provisions, and I know you only mentioned some of them, but all of the uh, provisions for implementation that apply to the entire pilot group have to be in place before the company is allowed to train that new hire uh, in in that captaincy. Is that correct?
1: If they want to train them as an accelerated pilot. And that really is the is the crux to what uh, that that section was designed to do. There is if we get start to move out we, like we talked earlier, Dewey, about some of the the 2024 and 2025, uh, we take a look at the aircraft deliveries, the block increases, the growth. Um, it, it's really. It, I, I can at least say in the tenure that since the time I've been doing this since 2006, it's the most aggressive aggressive growth plan that I've ever seen. You know, and in talking to um, my, my great mentor, Jeff Nuger, uh, and some other folks have been doing this even longer. Really, there's never been as aggressive as a plan to get there. Um, you know, so to that end, um, there's a very high leverage point on the company's need to access those captains at that 350-hour point to start getting them trained over. And so to that end, Uh, That, unfortunately, is not available unless we have all these other quality life enhancements in place. And that's what our pilots truly deserve. And that has a lot to do with this. um, A lot of the changes in the scheduling area of this EPA.
0: No, that's great. And I know that's going to be a lot more that comes to you ultimately and your team that you lead. All of these provisions all have a scheduling feature to them in one way or another. So I know that you and your team are going to be hard at work to help this implementation become a reality, which in turn will help the entire pilot groups. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we wrap up our time today?
1: I'd just like to say thank you, Dewey, for the opportunity. I mean, as as we start off this conversation, really, um, I just feel blessed to be a part of this in a volunteer capacity. Uh, The team that works under the SSC, really they're just thankless and selfless volunteers. And and that goes from the lowest ranks and really they do the yeoman's work. And I, I would encourage anyone that ever has a chance to talk, email, um, perhaps, you know, passing the crew room or on the flight deck, if, if they see, you know, someone who's out there uh, as an SSC volunteer, an LSC volunteer, one of your PBS trainers, please, you know, just take the opportunity just to say hello, say thank you. I mean, they really do uh, go so far above and beyond, uh, thanklessly trying to give back just to make this, uh, you know, a, b- a better place for all of us and support our our fellow pilots. So I appreciate the opportunity.
0: No, that's a good word. And thank you, George. This has been very enlightening, and this will help our pilots stay informed. And thank you all for joining us on The Flight Deck, a leading-edge podcast. You can help us out by sharing these podcasts with other United pilots and by leaving a review. Look for more of these podcasts in the near future. See you next time.